Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark, Stephen, and I will be here talking to you today about how people fully break free from addiction, treatment, and the recovery trap. We wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family to help people learn how they can overcome addiction and move on with their lives. Just want to talk about a little bit about overcome very quickly. I don't like that terminology, but it's what everybody says, yeah. so I have to say it. We, we talk about moving past addiction. Um, it's really not a hard thing you have to fight and overcome, but you'll learn more as you listen. We offer an incredible opportunity to work with us directly through private video conference. You can learn about the Freedom Model private instruction program at leaveaddictionbehind.com and thefreedommodel.org. So what we're going to talk about today is really interesting, and, and I don't know if we've talked about this before. We've, we've, we've hit on it in spots, Yeah, we've never had a podcast on it. And yeah, it's, it's kind of a fun topic for us because uh, we, we were in the recovery circles now 25 to 30 years ago, and, um, and looking back, it's, it's become very obvious that all three of us, and probably everybody does this, rewrote our substance-using history when we got into 12-step groups and, and treatment and recovery. And so if you listen, you're going to hear what we mean by that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let, let, I, it's fresh on my mind because I just wrote an article for, for leaveaddictionbehind.com. And uh, uh, I was thinking about the fact that I, I was going to AA meetings since I was... Uh, my first memories, a little kid being towed around by my mother who was an, a very active member and going to, to rehabs where I'd visit my siblings and things like that. So I, I was, I was, and we've talked about this on the podcast, but I was steeped in it. You know, I was pushed into this model. And then a weird thing happened. I, I was drinking my brains out for uh, a number of years. And my last three-month bender, I would drink and then I would vow not to drink. And then I would get sober for oh a few hours and then I'd find myself drunk again and I was on this yo-yo this roller coaster for for three months Sounds familiar. and and so I started to feel hopeless and I started in my mind thinking oh my god I'm one of those hopeless alcoholics and I was saying it daily like oh my god I'm I'm this guy and I'm starting to have withdrawal and this whole nightmare is happening to me and then I get in a car accident uh that December in the midst of this horrific bender and I literally stop. I just stopped drinking and it's not hard because I was just done. It wasn't really the accident. I was just done. I w- I just made the decision, you know what, I'm going to change my life. And my mental gaze immediately switched to how can I move on from this and move on with my life? And here's what's interesting though. I I did move on with my life for a few months and then and then slowly I started going to AA because I didn't know what else to do. Right. Okay. So I'm supposed to go to AA because that's what ex-drinkers do in my family. So I'm going to these meetings. Well, now and, they t- and they told you you needed it. Yes. Oh yeah. They're they're pushing me. The, the following day I went. You know. Right. And and but the whole time it was kind of like an out of body experience because deep inside I'm going I I, I don't even want to be here. I but I didn't know what else to do because I was lonely. You know. And so then. I'm going to the meetings and I'm starting to talk about how much of a struggle it is. 
Right. Right? Which I... Because that's what you're supposed to do at the meetings. Yeah, because you want to fit in. Yeah. You you know, you want to fit in and you want to have some context as to why the hell you're in this church basement on a Tuesday night when everybody else is either partying, you know, because that's what you think everybody does, and, 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 and you don't know what normal people do because you've just... But the reality is this. I was normal. Right. When I quit, I, it was effortless. It wasn't hard. And um, now, when I really liked drinking, it would have been hard to stop, something I really enjoyed doing. But when I quit, I didn't want to do it anymore. And it wasn't hard. I don't, I don't, you know, it's not hard to stop doing something you don't like anymore. Right. You know, but it was such a weird experience. And so I ended up, and I'll end with this because we, we got to make this quick, but um, I ended up going down a path with AA that was nearly a decade long. Mm-hmm. You know, what a horrendous, horrendous waste of time. Now, it ended up that I became a, a researcher in this field, and I researched my way out of it and rediscovered the fact yeah. that I had moved on 12 years prior. Right. You know, um, and now it's been 30-some-odd years, and I drink moderately and normal and all that kind of thing. But, But the point is, I rewrote my history. I went on this weird sort of traveling path and it was all based on I just wanted a place to belong I wanted friends and so I would do and say just about anything including make a struggle exist that didn't exist and that my friends is weird yeah so then the rewriting part for you was what saying that it's a it's a struggle and I can't stop even though when there was a point in time that came where you did yeah, stop. <laughs> and, I, and I think it was more more the case of now that I've stopped, I go to AA and it fortifies my sobriety and brings me uh, more meaning in my life and all this, this sort of thing. When the reality is I, I didn't even like the meetings. I didn't like going. I just, I wanted to move on. So it was just keeping me trapped, Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Stephen had a good story before we even started about... Oh, this is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> you got you to gotta listen to this. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's... The, the, the crack. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, this was not about rewriting my own story as much as keeping, learning a, right. an addiction and recovery story and holding on to it even though my history disproved it. Yes. Right. And, and that was... Um, I really loved all kinds of drugs, and um, the ones I was stuck on most was heroin and cocaine. And there would be times where I was was spending a lot of time with crack users and in a crack house. I lived in a crack house for a while. And um, I would be desperate to get high. I'm, I'm wanting to go get heroin, or I'm wanting to get powdered cocaine to shoot up. And I'm not able to do that. And I'm around these crack users. And they're like, well, why don't you just have some crack? (laughs) And I would smoke some crack. I would smoke one or two crack rocks. And they're like, okay, you know, it's a high. But it, like, you know, it it never became a bitch. I never. You. I don't even know if I ever spent money on crack. I might have spent ten money giving somebody ten. Right, bucks. they're giving you a lost leader, hoping you're going to become a user and it ain't working. You're like, <laughs> right, like Steve likes every drug but crack. Yeah, so it never turned into a binge. I never smoked more than one or two rocks, and it. And I, I'm going with a very high estimate. If I say it was about a dozen times, it might not even have been ten times. 
that I did this, right? Now, I grew up on movies like uh, Juice, Menace to Society. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, New Jack City. New Jack City. And that's the big one. Pookie from New Jack City. <laughs> I always bring him up. You know, it's, Chris Rock. And it's hilarious. He just turns into a crack zombie. Right. As soon as you start smoking crack, you're a zombie. Right. They can't do anything other than relentlessly smoke crack and backstab and steal and rip right. off everyone you know. Yeah, you become psychotic. For, for crack. And so right. now, I, when I got over my drug problem, and then uh, about a year later, I started working in the, the retreat. And, and I'm working with a lot of people with alcohol problems. And that, that very clearly, it's alcohol. And that I, somebody just offhandedly mentions, you know, well, you know, I'd smoke crack once in a while. Like if it's Friday night. Right. And got a little extra money in my the pocket. The right person is there at the <laughs> yeah. bar says you want to go get some rocks and then we would do that and the first time i heard that i thought it was bullshit right i i i was like i of course i didn't say that i didn't call somebody out Mm -hmm. but i was like oh please yeah (laughs) having crack once yeah yeah you're you're just an occasional crack user you're a casual crack user that's not how it works (laughs) Mm -hmm. crack you smoke it once and you're addicted for you're life. You're addicted, and you just keep going and going. And and then I heard it enough times, and then eventually one day I thought, oh, my God, I had erased yes. my own crack use. That's what I'm talking about. From my memory. Yes. Yes. And, and I was like, they're not full of shit. They do, once in a while, circumstances being right. Yep. Go smoke a little bit of crack. <laughs> Right. right, but it just goes against <laughs> like everything. the vast majority of crack users do it that way. And and well, you know yeah. what's funny is is back in the day when crack was a big deal. Oh yeah, right. I would hear people say that about heroin. Yeah, you know, I just use heroin once in a while. I can remember. Yeah. Every everybody I hung out with that used opiates, we used them that way. Yeah, and I knew yeah. a ton of yeah. moderate heroin users when I was in college. A ton mm-hmm. that did not go on to have right problems. Right, right. It's like but, the unspoken thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're not allowed to say it. It goes against the narrative. Yeah. Right. And um, so, you know, that was the thing where I had to look back and say, yeah, I had erased this thing from my memory. And I think part of the reason you do is because when you have a drug problem, you're always looking for somebody else to look down on something that is worse <laughs> as, a, that is true. as a heroin user, you know, who could like, that be? It's the crack users. It's the crack users. <laughs> yeah. Or it's, right? Or it's meth users. Yes. Yeah. You know, whatever. But it's, it's somebody else you want to be able to point down at. Yeah. And it's a line that you didn't cross. But I did cross it and I didn't become that, you know, yeah. which is crazy. But as far as the topic of when you rewrite your history, your when when you do a big in-depth history rewrite um, in recovery, right? Yeah, yeah. For me, that was um, that I just loved getting high. Okay, I I loved every kind of high that I could get. I did not approach. Um, substance use as self-medication right in any way right okay and this is for the three or four years that i'm just partying and using any which way before i go to rehab okay yep it was i love this it's fun 
It makes right, me happy. Right. There was a point where I thought this is the only thing that makes me happy. And that was when we were getting towards it becoming more of a problem. But it was not that I am depressed or whatever. But there was somewhere in there going to rehab, having people breathe down my neck about why, about using and oh, shaming yeah. me for oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. And you start to learn this idea that really drug users are self-medicating. Mm-hmm. Right? And now I start to come up with a narrative about uh, things that went on in right. my childhood, uh, things that I was very disturbed about at school but and you being tied an it, outcast. But you tied it to and, your use. Well, yeah, and a breakup with a girlfriend right. that was proceeding when I started using heavily, right? And I started to come up with an excuse that that I was damaged in this way and it made me that I need yep. that I need drugs for relief. That's right. Right? And I was taught that narrative in rehab. Mm-hmm. I was taught it in the media though I hadn't paid attention to it, but as soon as the shame comes in it like activates, oh, there's an excuse. You don't have yeah. to feel bad about yourself. Right. And so I started going for all of all of this. I use it to self-medicate idea. It was a shield. It was a defense. Well, and you're, and, in your case, though, you didn't have that when you were getting high. So you rewrote it. Into I rewrote that. it once I got into rehab. But then guess what? It became a very... It does pop- become real. Well, yeah. it became very real for me over the next five years, yeah. which is what I count as my real problem. Well, time. that that's... And people say to me all the time, Mark, <clears throat> you, you used from 12 to 18 and and you couldn't have got that bad. And I was like a relief-seeking missile. You yeah. Know, because... Because I had all the narratives lined up. We did. Yeah, yeah we did both too. did. Yeah. And when you have all the narratives lined up, and that's where I wrote I wrote in the article, you know, my mother literally daily warned me. Yep. Just like your dad did, you know, hey, if you do this, if you drink, it's gonna activate genes and that's you're, right. you're gonna be off the rails. Yeah. And and, and the, it, there was a million statements like that. And then guess what? I did. Yep. I mean, it was... Yeah, it it started to become your reality. Yeah, when the physical sensation went through my body that first time on my 12th birthday from vodka, I was like, oh my God, I'm an alcoholic. I never had the guilt-free freedom of experimentation. We didn't. I did. Right, you did. I mean, it had to be hidden from my family. Yeah. Because they had no... They don't drink. You know, my mom, I've seen her have like five drinks my entire life. You know, my dad has never did... And so there was just this big fear that if they find out that I'm doing anything, right, they're going to freak out. They're going to freak out. They're going to, you know, mm-hmm. they're they're going to pull all the strings and and start controlling me. So there was hiding it, but at the same time not being ashamed at all. Now, were you ashamed, and, Michelle? Um yeah, because I I guess um for me the 
the rewriting of the history, I, I was raised to think that I was going to be an alcoholic. So right from go, I anticipated drinking heavily. Right. And when I got to AA, I there were so many AA people around me, like through my teenage years that were like, we're going to, we're saving a seat for you. And oh, like, I used to hear that. We're saving a seat for you. That's so it's, condescending. It's, it's such a condescending thing. It's such a terrible thing. And, and they, and they would just mock me and laugh and, and it was, it was, you know, I look back at it now and I'm like, it was truly, it was probably like child abuse, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. but, but I, I tried alcohol and marijuana when I was 12, That's fine. same age, 12. And then I drank occasionally through high school, but like, didn't drink and get drunk, nothing like that. But when I got to AA and I was looking back <clears throat> at my history, all of the, all of the times, the many times I had drank normally and without issue yeah. like fade away oh, it's like they're gone well that's because that point. is the whole point of the moral inventory yes right is to highlight only the bad times yes right yes yeah that's a good point that you ignore all the times i went i remembered i used to say in aa that i drank all through my teens you know and you just yeah. make a, you make a blanket statement like you do that. something like that and but i remember I remember I was my mother was coming to pick me up when I was like 14, like 13 and a half, 14. And I was just getting fucked up constantly, <laughs> right? And then I had I, I remember I had a vial full of pot seeds and I was going to plant them <laughs> next next to the uh next to the uh trailer park she lived in. I was just going to dump them down in this little swale and then have that shit grow up and I wouldn't be around and then I'd pick and them then in the just fall. be there. And then I remember thinking, god, my mom is so savvy. She's so focused on this drug and shit. That she's gonna, His mom was a counselor. Yeah, she was a counselor. And I mean, she was like Hawkeye, you know? And I was like, ah, I'm not going to do this. And, I, and then I thought, oh my God, I'm turning into an addict. So I'm going to stop. So I did. I stopped, right? Yeah. And I did. I stopped for, I think, like three or four months. And it ended up that I, I remember thinking, wait a minute, I shouldn't be able to do this. I had all this shit in yes. my head. I was 14. What 14-year-old thinks this stuff? But it was the center part of a my life. A lot of them do now because they're being raised in it. I know, and it's so 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 tragic. You so know? that was screwing with your mind. Yeah, that's that's the crazy thing. You stopped for those few months. and Yeah, and then I get to the retreat, or not the retreat, but we I get sober and I, I go into AA first, long before the retreat ever existed, and I'm rewriting that... It was always a problem. It was always a problem. Yeah. Like, I couldn't stop. Like, I was always driven to do this. Yes. And that's just not true. Now, I'll tell you, I did get to a place where yeah. that narrative was so powerful in me that it almost killed me, you yeah. know? But but there were all kinds of times throughout my history where I stopped, but I never talked about them in AA. Because in AA, it's just not cool. No, it you have cool. to be one speed. Right. Yeah. The minute I started using, it was off to the races. I was disastrous. I yep. always caused trouble. I could never stop because it's a That's what you were saying. Or is this that is, true? This is what it this is what they kind of require oh, of yeah. you yeah, in yeah. AA. Now it isn't said that way, but it but you get the message. Yeah. Yes, I got you. That because you're gonna you're coming to this point where you're gonna surrender. And you're going to be redeemed or saved right. or something. Yes, by right. AA. Yeah. And for to make this massive shift, you have to paint the entire past as disastrous and bad. 
because that's what makes it easy to make the shift, yeah. supposedly, right? And, right. and so everything's bad. You know, and if you at all entertain the idea or even just talk about some time where you used in a way that's in control, and I'm putting that in air quotes. Because right? you're always in control. If you do, that's really frowned on. You can't talk about that stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. You can only talk about the bad times because that's how you make the shift, and you and that's what's supposed to keep you scared from ever using again, is that it was always bad. The minute you start thinking, well, there's times that I that I drank a little bit and stopped, yeah. or just drank now and then, the minute you think that, that allows the thinking that you could use again, creep in. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So you have yeah, to... stinking thinking. Yeah, so you get this message <laughs> that you have to rewrite things, highlighting only the bad. Um, and here's what's nuts, is when I, that night when I stopped, you know, I, w- I was on a three-month bender. I mean, it was, it was bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, in, I was in terrible shape. I was very sick. And, you know, I remember sitting at that car accident site and I just handed the keys to the cops. The cops weren't very kind to me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I didn't even care because I was like, you know what? My life is going to be different. And I knew it was over and I knew it was a new chapter in my life. Then I go to AA because I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so, so sad is that there's this narrative that if you have a problem, you're supposed to go to AA. That's yeah. th- that, that's an unfortunate subject. And in now and it's that you're supposed to get any kind of treatment. Yes. Yes. Continually and, for the rest of your life. Exactly. And and there I was going to AA and doing these things, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I don't know why I'm here, mm-hmm. but I've been told my whole life this is where it all ends up. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you were told the same thing. I, I was, and that, and and I can remember thinking, I mean, I did have fun partying and stuff for a little while, but not for very long because because it was like I was living out the prophecy. Oh, terrible! And and so I terrible. always was, you know, I I always joke with it, these guys, and I'm sure you've heard it on the podcast before that I had a, that you know, I remember the pamphlets from when we were young, and we would go into the AA meetings, and my dad would like hand us the pamphlets to like keep us busy while he was at the meeting at the clubhouse in Schenectady. Oh. Oh, that was a that shit show. <laughs> but anyways, so so we would look at these pamphlets, and one of them had this checklist of you know if you're a problem drinker, like how do you know you're an alcoholic? And so I I to this day have like all of the the the. Qualifications. Qualifications to be an alcoholic. And I remember each time I would check a box, like, did you drink more than six drinks in an, in a sitting or whatever? Did you, do you drink alone? Do you drink in the morning? Do you drink at night? Do you drink? I mean, it was like, do you all drink this, when you're happy? Do you drink, drink when you're, when you're sad? sad? Do you do drink? I mean, and I like, once I had all the boxes checked, the drinking in the morning one, once I checked that one, I'm like, oh. Oh, that was the big one for me. That's a big one. Because that's, that's, you know what that is? That's chronic use. Yes, or drink alone. Those are the two big ones. Drink in the morning, and because if you're drinking in the morning, you're probably drinking alone. (laughs) So I checked both of those off at the same time. But then I kind of got around it because I became a heavy pot user. And um, so I could wake and bake, and I didn't have to drink in the morning as early (laughs) as I used to. So so it was... But the other part of that, the rewriting the history, is really interesting because I want I wonder how many people, like Mark and I, were bad from the beginning because we were raised in the narrative, right? Yeah. But I wonder how many people are like Stephen now, where 
you know, you're just having fun and then you get shoved into treatment or you get shoved into recovery in some way, shape or form. And it, your rewriting turns out to be incredibly detrimental to you. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because on the one hand you think this is a phase I'm going through, which it is for the majority of people based on the numbers, you know, heavy substance. Until you learn the narrative, of course. And then once you learn the narrative, all of a sudden you're 40 years old and you're, you're perpetually in crisis because you're, you're drinking, you're literally drinking yourself to death. You've been told that you can't stop. That you don't have that ability. I want to talk about that for a second because I just had a guest, because we're running out of time here, but I just had a guest who who had a really, really very well-defined binge construct that he had created for himself that was a serious trap. Yes. And it was fortified by his treatment stays. He had the narrative deep. He, he, he would build his life up, and then he'd go on these these three to four week benders that would end him in detox. In detox, like then, serious medical yeah, issues. Serious, serious. It was killing him. And, but then he would build his life up for about six months and then fall off. And he said, Mark, if there was one thing you could tell me to stop this, what would it be? And I would say that, well, the next time you're about ready to pick up the 30-pack, it's real simple. You're not required to behave the same way you did yesterday. Right. You know. And he was shocked. I mean, it threw him back in his chair. He goes, I'm not. <laughs> right. I don't have to do this. And, I'm not compelled. And that's when I realized how deep his treatment narrative was and it hurt my heart because I'm looking at a person that spent nearly 30 years killing himself or a narrative he learned literally we traced it back I said where did you come up with this idea that you have to go on a bender that once it starts you can't stop and he goes you know my drinking was normal what would be considered normal non-problematic heavy but non-problematic right to my first treatment stay so from 16 (laughs) to 30 at 30, I went to treatment, and from there, it was devastating use. Devastating. Which is, we, we see that in the numbers, that binge usage goes up. Dramatically. When you, when Suicide you learn, goes up. Yeah. yeah when yeah. you learn the, the whole idea that one drink equals one drunk. Um, so, Mark. Yeah. So, uh, that's, yeah, that's, he, he's learning the loss of control thing. Yep. Right? And, and uh, that he can't stop once he, he starts. That's and, the big one for him. Yeah, and there, isn't that isn't that the craving idea is really involved here, where a, a thought of using, a thought of picking up that thirty pack becomes powerful, and you're right. not right. You can't really disobey that thought. Like you have to act on it. And it's almost like a craving is something outside of you that happens. To yeah, you. the way it's talked <clears> about, people yeah. don't don't think about. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is the thought literally some other creature coming into your mind and implanting, mm, yeah. inserting itself, as you say? Yeah. That's a great way of saying it. Does does a craving insert itself into your mind? Yeah. I mean, that's weird talk. You know, no, it's you thinking, I want this at a habit. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> exactly. And um and and so what I like to think about with that is there's there's probably hundreds of things that I think about doing throughout a day. Yes. That I don't do. And if you if you took right. and this is a this is a thing where it depends on how you're gonna look at your history, what you're gonna choose to highlight. Same as I'm gonna only highlight the times that I went overboard drinking to prove to myself that I'm incapable of drinking moderately. Right. right? Um, <clears throat> we look at all the times that we've thought about drinking or using and then went and done it, right? But we don't think about the fact that we think about hundreds of other things every day that and, we don't and, act on. Whether that's I'm gonna go grab a glass of water or go pee right now, or 
make a phone call or or whatever. Look up vacation plans I was thinking of. And then you just don't right. for whatever reason. Right. Right? Or you right. do it next week. That, why, and and, and like, that's why his case was such a, a stark example. I've never met somebody in the 30 years that had it where they felt they were required to act on it. I mean, literally. And because he had repeated that thought, mm-hmm. it, yeah. it, it almost killed him. Yeah. You know, yeah. how sad. It you is. Know, the, the point of this whole conversation is that you can really warp your mind to fit into a recovery narrative. It's kind of the same thing cults do when they when they pick up somebody and mm-hmm. they, they yeah. highlight everything that their parents did to them. Right? Yes. Right? And it's like your whole family was awful. You belong with us. Right? Yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah. It's like, let's create this warped view of reality. And you have to consider, uh, you know, memories are incredibly malleable. We rewrite them often. And then maybe what you think about your past isn't true. And that doesn't mean throw it all out. But it means maybe there's more to the picture than you've been allowing for. And I just want to say there was a famous case a few years ago. You remember this Tina who was mentioned in an AA pamphlet for youth. Oh, yeah. And she came out and she's like, you know, I wasn't. She was famous and she was a famous speaker on the circuit and everything. And now she's a moderate drinker. And she's like, you know, uh, I think, you know, I was having a rough childhood. I got involved in recovery and like I highlighted these couple of times. Yep where my drinking was real bad and constructed this whole story of a powerless alcoholic around that. But I realize now that's not really the full truth and not who I am. And it caused quite a stir to the point where she pulled back a little bit. And it's like, oh, I'm not saying that other people... That there's not such a thing as real alcoholics. I'm just saying that wasn't... Fascists will will make you either kick you out or make you you keep to the model, for sure. So... um, all right, what else do we have on this right now? Take well, another look at your past, right? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons people come to us. That's one of the reasons people take classes with us and meet with us directly. And that's because you get if you get down that road so far um, into recovery at, that you really aren't sure what's real and what isn't, or what really happened and what didn't, I mean, you can, it's easy to convince yourself of a lot of different things. And, and so if you're... If you're in, if, if you if you really look back at your history, it's difficult to find where you did like what you were doing and where you probably still do to a certain extent. Yeah. So we have to, a lot of times show people. Yeah, yeah. We, you have to you have to get them to the point where they feel like for number one they're in a safe place and they can talk to somebody without judgment. That's right. Because if there's one thing that that happened a lot in in you know, treatment and 12-step meetings and stuff that I attended, it was, there's a whole lot of judgment out there. Well, it's brutal abuse. It is. It's it's, brutal abuse. It's terrible. It's terrible. So you're not allowed to say, you're not allowed to say, I really loved being drunk. Right. I really loved it. I loved, you know, the lifestyle I was in at the time. There was a lot of things about it that that I really enjoyed. And, And, And that's key to understanding that you had a personal drive Yes. For the amount of drinking you were doing. Now, it <clears throat> doesn't mean you're always going to have that same exactly. personal drive, but if we hide what it really was and we just go, well, it was this mysterious was, entity of addiction. Or it was because I was abused <clears throat> or it was because of this and that. I mean, well, yeah. you know, it, it, once you tie a whole bunch of stuff to it, it really becomes almost impossible. Fortified. It becomes fortified by myth. Yeah. You know, because you're not focusing on the fact that at one time you liked it, now you don't like it as much, and it's okay to move beyond it. 
yes. really is okay to move beyond it. Just forget. But but the problem is that the treatment narrative is so well built. It is in our culture. It, it is that what we do, and this is to Michelle's point, I think, is we give people the proper information to make decisions based on facts. The fact that you like it at some level, and yep. that's okay, and it's fine, and and that you can get past it, and you can move beyond it. I move beyond it. Everybody in this room moved beyond it. Mm-hmm. And now we all drink like normal people. You know, I have a few yeah. beers a week. It's not a big deal. It's inconsequential to our lives. The point yeah. is we're free. So um, there's a way to get through that process. And we help people. And that's what the Freedom Model for Addictions was written for. It's 450 pages to debunk. You can go through the, the table of contents and you can find the myth that, that you're struggling with. Literally, we listed out the myths that people believe that keep them trapped. Yeah. And then, and then you can go through that and we debunk it and we show you how you can get rid of those myths so you can be free. Um, so we also do Freedom Model Private Instruction where we can teach you that one-on-one from the comfort of home as well. So, um, Anyway, it's a good place to end. Let's, it is a good place to end, here. and thank you everyone for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior, because we help with all kinds of oh, problems. Yeah. Eating disorders, um, everything. Yep, or you want help breaking free and moving past the whole recovery as well, you know, that everything that's tied into being in recovery, you can reach us at 888-424-2626 or through one of our websites. We have thefreedommodel.org, and now we have a new site called leaveaddictionbehind.com. And I have to give a plug to Gallus Detox. That's our partnership also with Gallus Detox, the best detox in the country if you need that. Yes, yes, and you can reach them through us as well and through leaveaddictionbehind.com. At thefreedommodel.org, we offer a bunch of free resources and information, including videos these podcasts uh, we have uh, the addiction solution blog we put articles up on that regularly and there's free ebooks you can download digital editions of our books the freedom model for addictions and the freedom model for the family are also available for purchase on that site as well or you can get paperback or kindle versions on amazon or one of the other online retailers and if you have questions and you want to reach us, I said, or I'll say our number again, 888-424-2626. Or you can email us at info at thefreedommodel.org. Follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. And you can subscribe to our YouTube channel called The Freedom Model. And we now have three Facebook groups uh, where you can discuss your experiences breaking free from addiction and recovery. They are The Freedom Model moving beyond addiction and recovery and families moving beyond addiction and recovery. And there are some great leaving AIND programming groups on Facebook as well now. So from everyone here at the Freedom Model, we wish you well until next time. All right. Take care, everybody.